0: Ephesians chapter 4, um, <clears throat> you know, last week was Easter, and, uh, and before Easter it was a season that, the, that I'm surprised that more and more people are actually observing called Lent, um, and Lent is 40 days leading up to Easter, uh, or is it 50 days? I don't remember, 40. Um, I did 50 because you guys are suckers, and you guys… I did the real track, the pastor track. It was the 50th. Uh Lent is the season where you put aside something. It's a season of fasting. It's like you put aside something to identify with the sufferings of Jesus and to ready your heart for Easter. But there is a season that we don't really observe as well, as good, as Lent. It's not as popular. It's called Easter Tide, and it happens 40 days after Easter. And this happens where you actually take something up where if you, not that not <laughs> you grab a habit, that you don't like, <laughs> I didn't smoke before, I'm gonna smoke now. Um, it's not that, it's more of a, uh, I, I, if, if, if uh, Lent is about crucifying your flesh, um, Eastertide is about planting. Um, it's about like, if, if Lent was weeding your, the garden, uh, Eastertide is about planting things that you hope would grow into in fruit. And so, uh, in, that, in that spirit, tonight I wanna talk about Uh, growth and maturity and how we grow and coming right out of the text where we're in in Ephesians chapter 4 the very next section um, talks about maturity and how we grow and why we grow and why we need to grow and so if you have a Bible would you follow along with me in Ephesians chapter 4 I'm going to read through verse 16 and then I'll pray and ask God to speak to us and and teach us tonight so Paul writing to uh, the church in and around Ephesus the region of Asia Minor. Um, he says this As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, <clears throat> one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, he, when he ascended on high and took many captives, he gave gifts to his people. What does He ascended even mean except that He also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is God's Word. Let me pray. Lord, I ask tonight that You would give us um, Your Spirit that we might understand these words. Uh, I know that a lot of us, as we come into tonight, it takes us a while to settle into uh, maybe hearing from You, and like we're in church mode. We, We have to get our minds and our hearts right and We've done that. We've done that to the best of our, our abilities tonight, God. We've come in, we've sat, we've sang, we've greeted one another and passed peace along, and now we've, we've heard the Scriptures, and we say, we sit under them, we say, God, speak to us. Teach us tonight, correct us, comfort us, um, do the work in our lives that only you can do by the power of the Scriptures. If we're just young, feed us, um, and if we're if we're older in the faith, and we need just to be awoken again, just wake us, God. Do what you need to do tonight to beautify your church, and help me to communicate these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So last week we weren't here um, uh, on Sunday night. We did everything at the Opera House. It was it was just a really beautiful Easter gathering. Once again, I love worshiping across the street from City Hall. The opera house was just completely just packed. You guys did a wonderful job. If you volunteered there and prayed for the gathering or brought people and invited them out, thank you for doing so. Um, now Easter is typically a triumphant gathering for the church. I mean, we gather to celebrate that Jesus Christ has beaten death, like he literally beat death. Now my Easter sermon last week was not necessarily that triumphalistic. Um, it was about losing hope. And it was about how Jesus can restore our hope and faith, but He has to disillusion us first, that he, is, um, that he has to remove the illusions that we have about being a follower of Jesus and what that means and what life in this world is all about and a host of other things. But the good news is that in the midst of our lost hope, Jesus oftentimes is there with us. We just don't recognize Him. That was the text we looked at last week. Now, I, I I say this, I bring this up, because um, last week the Easter teaching didn't capture the triumph of the resurrection. Like, I didn't walk out, and it wasn't like a big hurrah, Jesus is from the dead, boom, Easter sermon, whatever. It wasn't that thing. Um, but I want you to know tonight tonight, that, you know, the Easter story is about triumph. It is about victory. I mean, we're, Easter is about celebrating that Jesus Christ literally beat death. It's victory language, 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul writes about the resurrection, he, he says this. He taunts death because of what Jesus has done. He taunts it. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory because of Christ. He says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? He looks death in the face and he taunts it. He's like, you can't get me because Christ has won. He says, the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a victorious language. This is the hope that the Bible has been anticipating since Genesis chapter 3, and the reason why I bring all of this up is because victory language is ar- around the resurrection, is at the heart of our text tonight. Victory language, this is what Paul does when he talks about the resurrection of Jesus. He quotes Psalm 68, right in the middle of our, of our text tonight, if you, if you look at verse 7 he sa- and verse 8 and verse 9. He talks about Jesus Christ being victorious in the resurrection and that He ascended on high. That he died and he rose from the dead. And what happened when he ascended? And Paul, what he does is he takes um, some, some verbiage, some words from the, the book of Psalms, which is a book of collected songs in the middle of your Bible. And in Psalm 68, the, song is all, the, the Psalm 68 is all about victory. And it says this this is what Paul says. This is why it says, He ascended on high, He took many captives, and He gave gifts to people. In this psalm that Paul is quoting here, God is victor. Um, God, this, this psalm is about God leading out Israel, out of Egypt, out of slavery, in the Exodus, a victory. And what Paul is doing is he's, he's, he's almost, in a very great, beautiful way, taking this language and applying it to Jesus. He says, Jesus is victorious. Jesus has given us victory. Jesus leads us out of bondage. Jesus has done this. He takes all this and applies it to Jesus. So the question is, when did Jesus win? And the answer is the cross and the resurrection. The other question is, then who did Jesus beat? And the answer is sin, death, and the devil. But Paul takes some New Testament license and he changes the third line in this psalm. Only Paul can do this. Don't try this at home. Paul takes the the third line of the psalm where originally in Psalm 68, 18, it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and you, receive, you received gifts from people. That's what Psalm 68, 18 says. You received gifts from people. What Paul does, is he takes that language and he flips it upside down, and he says, when Christ ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave away gifts to people. So what, what Paul does, is he says, what Jesus did in the resurrection was he beat sin, death, and the devil. And one of the consequences of Easter, one of the consequences of resurrection is that Christ has given gifts to his people. Around the resurrection of Jesus, the conquering king, Jesus, it says that Jesus, gives gifts to people. So if you are, the point of this is this, if you are a Christian, if you have trusted in Christ, even if it was just last week, if you have believed in Christ and trusted in Christ for your salvation, and you're a follower of Jesus, you're, you're a believer born again, saved, however you want to say it, you have been given a gift by Christ. And that gift is salvation, but it's even more than salvation. We call it a spiritual gift. And the reason why these gifts are talked about in the context of resurrection, in the context of victory here in Ephesians 4, is that if you don't understand the context of what Jesus is doing in the resurrection, you will have no idea why you're gifted he didn't just rise from the dead and go, hey, I got some stuff. You want some stuff? Here's some stuff. He rose from the dead, and he says, I want you to continue my ministry here on earth, and here are some gifts to get along with. Here are some gifts that ways that you are spiritually empowered to move forward the, the ministry of Jesus. You are not gifted for you. You are not gifted to use your gifts for yourself or for your kingdom or for your own personal project and prerogatives. You are spiritually gifted for God's kingdom. You are gifted to be a part of Christ's resurrection people and to extend his blessing, to extend his rule and reign and beauty and peace all over the world. You have been gifted by Jesus, if you're a Christian, and your gifts are not for you, therefore, The body of Christ. Are you with me? You guys there? Okay. Gifts are to join God in bringing His kingdom and His renewal plan and His redemption. So let's talk a little bit about spiritual gifts. This is what Paul talks about, just for a brief moment. Spiritual gifts. And here here they are. This is what they mean. There's a definition of them on on the screen. A spiritual gift is this any ability that is given by and/or empowered. That and/or, I'll talk about that in a second. Any ability that is given by and/or empowered by the Holy Spirit is to be used in any ministry of the church. The gifts of the Spirit are supernatural enablings that allow us to engage in the ministry of Christ. Stop there. Leave that screen there. If you're new to this conversation, like just trip out on the fact that Christ has given you a gift, and you might not know it yet, you are gifted. If you are, if you've been a Christian a while, and you're just so, you're just like, whether it's just because life circumstances or you're busy or you're lazy or you're just in sin and you've been burying your spiritual gift, it's time for you to bury the, to to, to dig the thing back up, to dust it off and to start getting on with the ministry of Christ because you are empowered. You are gifted by the Spirit. Every single believer in here in some way is gifted. It goes on. It says the purpose of of spiritual gifts is to build up to strengthen, to enable, and comfort one another in being faithful to Christ and his mission until he returns. All gifts must be exercised and loved. Every believer has at least one spiritual gift. Most Jesus followers have several. No person has all of them. So just calm down, overachievers. You're like, I'm trying to get them all. (laughs) Collect them all. Like, what are those, that game, Pokey, whatever, Pokemon, go. That's not a thing. That's not, you can't just collect all the gifts, okay? Okay, so what is this talking about? This and, or, and, or that's how the definition started. Any ability that is given by and/or empowered by the Spirit. Let me explain this. The "and" means this: gifts can be given to you that you did not previously have. The example that I like to use is that I, me, hate. I hate public speaking. I'm not I'm joking. I'm not joking. I, I mean, I'm not having a good time right now. Like, I'm. <laughs> I'm not. I'm. I don't like it at all. I would never, ever, ever do this for a living unless. Jesus made—I mean—allowed me um, to do it. (laughs) Like to be—I'm dead serious. Like I, I um, before I was a Christian, uh, I never spoke in front of people. When I became a Christian, I was asked to take over a junior high small group of kids and teach them the Bible, and so I did, and that grew a little bit larger and larger, and then like it was—I didn't have this gift before, at all. I don't even—I can't even listen to myself talk. Like if it's if Someone's listening to a, one of my sermons or whatever, and I'm in the room, I turn it off. I don't know how anyone can put up with that, ever. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily, I talk too fast. I, my words kind of like mush together to be like one long word, and I say um a lot, and I, I don't know. I don't know why, but it's a gift, I guess. It's a gift <laughs> that Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. I never had this teaching gift before. Um... And I hope that God never get, takes it away. Um, but it's not, it's not mine, though. It's not me, mine to build my, like my brand or my kingdom. Or for me, it's for the church. And to be honest, I don't love doing it. Like, I'm, I'm and that might surprise you. Like, I don't, I don't do this because I have to preach. I love. It's like a fire in my bones like Jeremiah says. And I can't, I can't you can't, shut, I have to go and preach. It's not me, ever, ever, never. Like, if five minutes before the sermon started, like, hey, we have someone to fill in for you not, you're good. I'm like, great. I'm good. I, I studied 20 hours, but I'm cool. Like, I, I had a fun time doing that. Someone else, please take it. Go. But this is, this is something that I, that I feel called to do. So that, that might be you. You might not have, like, you, you come to Christ, and God gives you a gift that you never, ever had before. It could be like a gift of pastoring, prophecy, ministry, like whatever ministry you might have, you might not have ever had that before. And it's beautiful. That's the end. The or is this. Or, you can be gifted, meaning you, uh, gifts spiritual gifts can be abilities that you've had before. Before you ever became a Christian. And the Spirit of Christ picks them up and repurposes them to carry on the work of Christ. For example, let's say you were a, you're, you're, you're a natural-born good singer okay? And you're just, you have a beautiful voice, great singing voice. Uh, You're a good writer. You're, you're, you're good at at hosting. And then you become a Christian. And then the Spirit of God might want to say, you know what, we're going to take those things that you were good at previously that were, that were like endowments given to you by God from the beginning, and we're going to take those and we're going to repurpose them for the, the ministry and the work of Christ. And so now we want you to sing and do this with your voice. And now we want you to write but do this with your writing. Now we want you to do this with your, your hosting and we want you to be hospitable to outside people for the mission and the work of Christ. Like this is, this is the stuff Jesus does. And it's important to note that all these gifts are bestowed on the church without discrimination of gender. Any one of these gifts can be given to anyone no matter what gender. So you can be whatever gender and have a teaching gift, have a speaking gift, have a prophecy gift, have a min- whatever it is, you, you can be given that gift. This is also a gift that's bestowed no matter what social class you have or what, or even your ethical maturity. It's called a gift. And the, the Greek word is charismata. And charis, the, the root word, is grace. What the, the, these were this this. Charismata, what it literally means is literally means is grace gift. You've been given a, a gift of grace, which means you didn't earn it, which means you can't, like, you, it has nothing to do with your ethical maturity. Now, the Spirit of God, and we'll talk about it today, hopes that you would grow in maturity, but you are not gifted because you're, you're just really killing it. It's a grace gift. It's a grace gift. Now, here's why this is all important. The purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up and strengthen and enable and comfort one another in being faithful to Christ and his mission until he returns. The purpose of all this is that you, I, I, I as, as one of the pastors here, need you to know that you're gifted and I need you to be using your gifts in this church. Because the whole point of it is that we are together, one another, supposed to build up each other. It doesn't just happen from the, the staff. It doesn't just happen from community group leaders. It doesn't just happen from team leads or whatever. It it happens with every single person who calls himself a member of this church and is a follower of Jesus. You all need to be involved in building up, strengthening, enabling, and comforting one another in the things of Christ, moving towards faithfulness in Jesus. We all need to be doing that. Now look real quick at the New Testament spiritual gift list. It's on the screen. Now, you don't have to take a picture of this. We'll make sure that this goes out in our newsletter tomorrow or whatever. But if you look at 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11, verse 28, there's a list. Romans 12, Ephesians 4, where we're at today, 1 Peter 4. These, these, are, these are the lists. Now, look at this list, and let me make some notes here. Notice a couple of things when you look at this list. Notice that some of these gifts can be lifelong abilities. Let's say you have the gift of um, pastoring. I would imagine that that gift is a lifelong ability, whether you're on staff at a church or not, that you're gifted as a pastor. They can be newly given abilities. They can also be momentary manifestations. Notice the word of knowledge there, right? So, a word of knowledge under the first list, 1 Corinthians 12, That you do don't have that all the time. If you did, that's called a superpower, <laughs> and that would be awesome. If you have that, let us, let someone know. Because that's a really good, that's a, that's, that's a mutant sort of thing. I don't know if, it, if it's this here, but it's different. You should get that checked out. But this is different. This a word, of, word of knowledge is like a momentary burst of like, I have a word of knowledge. Um, there might be someone in this room that's so on and so forth. Or you're sitting next to someone and God gives you insight into what's going on in their life. Like, I don't know how I know this, but this is what you've been dealing with and this is what God wants to say to you. That's a word of knowledge. You don't walk around with that all the time. It's a momentary, it's called a a like a, like a, like a, a burst of, of spiritual power. Now, notice the second thing here. There are several gifts that overlap, and some gifts he only mentions once, which means it's a li- this list is not exhaustive. There are many more gifts that God gives, like the gift of worship or the gift of intercession, that are not even listed here, that are so needed in the church and are used in the church. So it's not comprehensive. Now, a natural ability becomes a spiritual gift when the Spirit of God empowers you, when the Spirit of God animates you and that ability that you have, and He uses the ability that you have for accomplishing the mission of Jesus. So, if you're a doctor or an educator or you're a mom or dad or in tech or finance or freelance or artist or a dancer or a musician or in service industry or civic or community service. Whatever you do, you are gifted by God to do what you do and to do it for the unity and the maturity of the church and to show what God is like in the world. So God can take up what you're doing by the Spirit of God. If, you were, if we're open to that sort of thing, are we open to that? Now, some of us, I know there's different ways to find out your gifting. Some people take spiritual inventory gift test lists or whatever. Those are fine, I guess. They're, they're whatever, okay? You can, you can do those. You can, I, I, but I, let me say this. We would do well to have less concern about identifying our exact gifts and more concern. We need to be more concerned about being a gift to the church. We need to be concerned that am I being a gift? How, how is the Spirit of God working through my life to strengthen this church? I mean, that's the question. I, I mean, stop and think about this for just a second. Just think about this. How am I allowing the Spirit of God to function through my life as to be a gift to this church community? Think about that. Now notice in verse 6, is, six and 7, it says this. There is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. You see all the ones there? It's beautiful. What's the speaking of his unity? Like we have, we're one body, one church, one spirit. We have one hope in Jesus, one Lord, Christ, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. We have one. And then he says this, the very next verse, verse seven, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So what he's saying, hey, I love the play on words here, one, 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 but to each one, individually. What this means is that there's unity in the church, but there's also individuality. Here, Paul in- introduces diversity. The hope and goal of diversity in our church is not for diversity's sake, but the goal is to put on display the unity that Christ accomplished on the cross, and the goal is for maturity. So Christ, we have one church, we have one hope, and there's one baptism and one but every single person here has something different about them, something very unique, very unique in the way God's gifted you. You, you two, two different people might have the gift of hospitality, but your gift of hospitality is different because you're different. And you're to use it differently. You might have the gift of teaching too, but you use it differently than maybe I use it. We all are different in gifts, and we need each other. We need each other in our differences so that we can mature. And we need people that are not like us in our life so that we can mature. I mean, one of the reasons why we don't have hyper-specific ministries, like we don't have like, if you're 22 years old and you live on Valencia Street, we have a Bible study for you. We don't do that. And the reason why is because you need different, our community groups hopefully are different people coming together. You need diversity if you're ever going to mature. You need people that don't think like you in the same room as you, wrestling through the same implications of the gospel in the same context. You need that to mature. And maturity here, like this is the goal. The whole hope of this passage is maturity. The whole reason why Paul talks about giftings, the whole reason why Paul talks about one faith, one Lord, is that you and I would mature. Look at this. Look at verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people, for the works of service, so that, so I'll get, I'll get into those in a second. The reason why he gave all of these different gifts and these people is so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. The whole reason why he does all these qualifying things is to get to this, that you and I would become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, how do we mature? Well, Paul says that, one of the ways that we mature is that he, Christ himself, gives to the church these different sort of people that help mature the body so that the body of Christ could be able and equipped to minister, and then he lists them. He says he gives to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, what, what are those? Let me give you a brief… I can't… We, we, this would be a, a great, like, series of… a very long series. This is a really fun passage, but… We don't have time. Let me just give you a very short synopsis of what these are. Apostles are people that initiate and gather and pioneer new works, calling people to live right now into the kingdom. These are very often church planters are apostolic in gifting. Prophets speak so as to reveal the truth and the call of God into a situation, especially the injustice and neglect of the poor. Pastors tend and sustain people's souls. They work on people's souls. Evangelists bring the good news to those who are hurting. Teachers help explain and deepen people's faith. And what Jesus, what it says here, Paul says, these people, these people are the gifts that Christ gives to the church to mature them. They, the actual people are the gifts. Not just their gifting, but them as people are gifts to the church And what they're to do in the church is to equip the congregation so that the congregation knows that every member in the congregation has a ministry into the city that they're called to. And all the equipping gifts that the leaders in the church use to equip the church are for works of ministry. And the question is, what is the purpose of all ministry? What is the hope? What does Paul hope to get out of the ministry that we all are a part of? And And the answer is, The whole point of ministry is that you and I would mature. See, in verse 13, that's the whole point. And this means this. He says, until we all mature, until we mature and we grow up. Now, this means that all of us start off immature. All of us do. When you receive the gift of the life of God in you through Jesus Christ, when you receive the Father, Son, and Spirit into our life, when we receive it, or, or the way that Paul puts it here, he does both, he says, we both receive the gift of the life of God in us, and we become, we, we become people that live inside Christ. That, so we, we kind of like become one with God in this beautiful sort of way. When that happens, um, the language that the Bible uses is that when we become, when we get the life of God in us, we become born again. Have you, ever, you guys familiar, familiar with that language, born again? Right? Yeah. Um, saved. Um, uh, you become Christian. Um, so born again, what this means is that when, when we receive the life of God in us, we all start off as spiritual babies. So imagine the moment that you said yes to Jesus... You start off as a spiritual baby. No one gets around this. No one says yes to Jesus and becomes a full-blown, mature, spiritual adult. You don't get to do that. That is not a spiritual gift. When you say yes to Christ, when you you believe in Jesus, we all start off like, like in life, as a baby. And so here, the goal in the church and the goal in life is that we all grow up, that we not stay a baby. The goal is that you and I would mature Now, being a spiritual baby is not bad, just like being a baby is not bad. You don't go to a baby and go, you're such a baby, and like, it's a a baby. It's not a bad thing, babies are awesome, they're cute, and they're, I mean, they're all the things that babies are. But, so, so being a spiritual baby in the same way is not a bad thing. Being a baby is not bad if you are a baby. But if you're not a baby, being a spiritual baby is bad. Okay, do you see where I'm going? If you are a Christian that has been a Christian for a while and you are still a spiritual baby, that's bad. It's bad. And you need to grow up. And this is what Paul is saying to us. If you are young in the faith and you are immature and you've made decisions that are really immature, you're a baby and you're gonna grow, and that, the way you're gonna learn is you will make bad decisions, decisions and you will grow. If you've been a Christian for a while and you still have not grown, it's time to grow up and start growing up. You need to mature. Now, how does Paul describe being a spiritual baby? Well, we'll look at this. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants. We no longer be babies. Tossed back and forth, by the way, which is a weird picture of a baby being tossed back and forth. Anyway, um, he mixes metaphors, obviously, here. He's not saying there's a baby in the ocean that's floating. no. No longer be infants, tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. So what is he saying? So some characteristics that he brings out that describe being a spiritual baby. First of all, you're not discerning. Paul here says that you don't know good teaching from bad teaching, like like babies. Babies don't know what they're putting in their mouths. They want to put everything in their mouths. And they don't know if it's poison. They don't know if they're eating poison or a banana. They just don't know. They don't know. And so we baby-proof things all the time. We say, no, you can't eat that. That's gonna, that will hurt you. You can't eat that. You can eat this. You can't eat that. People who are young in their faith can't discern the difference between a self-help message or an over-realized eschatology teaching. They don't know the difference of them. They don't know the difference between a teaching when they're young in the faith of like, Jesus just wants to make you happy. And they're like, oh my gosh, he does? That's awesome. I want that. And, but someone more mature needs to go, well, yeah, well, wait. I mean, Jesus wants to make you holy. And, if, and that will eventually lead to your happiness, but it won't feel happy on the way there. <laughs> It'll end in happiness, but on the way there, it won't always be happy. Jesus just doesn't want to make you happy. He wants to make you holy. They need to hear that. But they don't know that when they're young, they're just like, "Well, Jesus just wants to make me happy, and this is not. This doesn't make me happy, so I'll just do something different." They 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 don't they can't discern when they hear something that's like an overrealized eschatology, like like when they hear you, you know if you have enough faith, you'll never get sick. No, that's not true. If if you are a Christian, you will get sick and you will die. That's true. That you know that's true. That's hundred percent. Well, not hundred percent. That's true. Sometimes God heals you. Sometimes He doesn't. But all of our stories will end, unless Jesus comes back, in death. But there is a resurrection. Death is not the end of our story. When we have an over realized eschatology, and there's young people in the faith that believe that, well, I'll never get sick, that all the things will go well, I'll have everything I want, I can just pray and it happens. Like, well, no. Maybe one day soon, when Christ comes back, all things will be made well, but we live in this time where it's the already and not yet. It's overlapping kingdom. Like, we, you have to grow up into that. When you're, when you're a baby, you don't really even know what the word eschatology even means. And someone has to come along and teach it to you. When you're a baby, you don't know. When you're young in the faith, you don't know that an incon- like a teaching that's inconsistent in its theological logic, where if you follow that logic, theological, all the way down to its end, it'll shipwreck your faith. They don't know that. And so they're young. And growing up takes a steady diet of biblical community. People around us that have been, have walked with Jesus for a while. Bible reading, you have to give yourself to studying the scriptures and sitting under biblical teaching in community where you're able to talk through the implications of that sermon with other people. This, this takes time. And let me say this, you're not allowed to stay biblically illiterate your whole Christian life. You're not allowed to do that. I know that there's advancements in technology where you can get the answer on your phone. You're like, well, I don't have to know that. I can Google that. No, you're not allowed to stay biblically illiterate your whole life. You're just not allowed to do that. If you're a Christian in here and you've been a Christian for like 10 years and you don't know the Bible at all, you're like, I don't know. I, don't, I just haven't really, I haven't really given myself to that yet. You, you don't have really an excuse. You can't do that. That's not a thing that you're allowed to do. You have to grow up if someone in here, if you've met someone who was 45 years old in this, in this church and they've been walking with Jesus for 20 years, you would expect, everyone in here would expect that person to have some biblical wisdom and maturity. Some. Like, well, oh, you're 45 years old and you've been walking with Jesus for 25 years. Tell me. And you have the question. What if they just said to you, well, I don't really know. I've been at church but I haven't really read the Bible. I don't really know it. You'd be like, what have you been doing? Like, no, you can't get away with that. You're not allowed to do that. Okay, so... I think we, all, we would all agree there. Now, just imagine you're, you're 25, and you're walking with Jesus. Are you moving towards maturity so that when you're 45 that you can turn to the people in your church community and say, I can actually offer you some wisdom? Because I've been walking with Jesus, and I've been studying the Bible, and I've been like… I've been… I've been I've been growing in maturity, and I have some wisdom. Don't we all hope that, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I hear people that, like, I I want some spiritual mentors in this church. I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. We just don't have that many older people in our congregation yet until you get old. (laughs) So start maturing now to where when you get old, you can be that person. I say that to everyone. Like, we're a church, we're we're a new church, so you're just going to attract young people. And we won't get old until you're old. And when you're old, I hope you're mature. So start maturing now. You have no excuse to be becoming, being biblically literate and staying there. If you don't know the Bible, if you have not given yourself to maturity, you have no excuse. Now, if you're a baby, now that's fine. That's awesome. Be a baby. Just, you can't stay a baby. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to. You have to grow up. The second thing that is pointed out here in Ephesians is um, how the characteristic of being a baby is you're not steady. You're tossed back and forth. Babies are really not emotionally steady people, right? <laughs> if you notice this, like I, lo- I love, we have so many babies in our church, especially morning gathering. It's insane. Everyone has a baby in the morning service. Everyone has a baby. Babies are really up and down emotionally. I know there's some mellow babies in our church. I get it. Yes, but babies can go from, every baby can go from laughing to crying to laughing, to blank stare, at, like gone, in a matter of seconds. You know it. And parents just try to keep, like, babies from, like, not crying. and Like, okay, how do I keep you happy? Like, putting everything from their bag or purse or whatever, rattling it in front of their face, like, giving them, putting everything in their mouth. Like, they're trying to keep that, and the baby's just, no, I don't want it. Okay, now I want it. Now I don't want it. Like, they're up and down, back and forth. Now, you are a spiritual baby. If you are not capable a following through with what you have been convicted of. When the Spirit of God convicts you of something and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so convicted by that thing and you don't do anything about it and you walk away and you're like, oh, yeah, that was a thing, I'm, whatever, I'm over it now. What's, what's on, what's next? You are a baby. If you are not able to do your duty to God whether you feel good or not, whether you are, whether good things and your, uh, things are going well in your life or not, if you're not able to do your duty to God unless everything's, like, unless you're doing, everything's going well in your life, you're a baby. If you need God to hold a rattler in front of your face and say all the time, oh my gosh, you're awesome, you're amazing, look look, at this, I'm doing, I'm showing, I'm showing myself to you, look at this, look, look, now will you do your duty? And you're like, yeah, I can do it now. If you need that every single day from God, you're a baby. You just haven't grown up yet. The call to maturity is the call to be faithful, to follow through with with your commitments, to know how to go through suffering, to endure, to be obedient, even when things don't go well in your life. That's maturity. That's what Christ is calling you into. If you can't do that yet, we should be moving in that direction. Anyone who has ever been in a commitment for a long time, whether it's a marriage, a religious vocation, or some service to the community knows that there are days and seasons when your commitment looks like death and y- like you'd, you'd rather just walk away from it, except that you know, because you're smart and you're mature enough to know that in the long range, this commitment that you made is going to bring you life even though it feels like death right now. You need to know this you need to know this from older people. You need to know this from people that have been through life. I mean, I'm not, I'll be 40, 40 in a couple years, so I'm not, I'm old, filled, but not that old. And so there's older people in our congregation that I will, that like, I will walk up to them like, this is it. This is the end. I can't believe this happened. It's over. And they're like, it's not over. <laughs> no, no, I don't know if I can do this. You can do this. And then, you know, they'll, they'll give me that like buddy hug. They're like, okay, now, now square me up. Listen, you'll get through this well how do you know i just know i've been through it and jesus will bring you through this and the only way through it is through it so go through it most of us go oh i don't like this i'm moving to a new job I'm moving to the city i'm moving to a new relationship i'm moving to a new thing and we pop around i mean san francisco loves to stay young and vibrant and bouncy and like we love it we like thrive off of it and the second we're not happy we bounce. We're out. We're not happy in a community group. We're not happy in a church. We're not happy in a job. We're not happy in an apartment. We leave everything in this town. Everything. We don't know long obedience in the same direction. We just don't know it. And if, when I say that about your job, you're like, well, no, I, I, I'm not going to stay. I'm, I'm not a company person. I'm not going to stay there for a long time. I'm going to use this, I'm gonna, and I'm going to bounce. Okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying state your job forever, but I'm not not saying that. I want you to think about this. I'm not saying you have to stay forever. Things happen, I get it. But where in your life are you grinding out, I'm gonna make a commitment and I'm gonna stick with it through the long haul no matter. As even when it becomes not fun anymore, I will stay. Even when it becomes like, it, I feel like it's killing me and my therapist tells me to leave, I will not leave. <laughs> that thing. When will we do that? That long, obi- we need to, we, we need this. We, we need to grow up mature. Growing into mature discipleship means remaining steadfast and loving within your commitments over the long haul after your initial emotional fervor has waned and disillusionment has set in. Yep. Growing up into mature discipleship means remaining steadfast and loving within your commitments over the long haul, after your initial emotional fervor has waned and disillusionment has set in. <laughs> <laughs> the challenge will be, this is the challenge though with that. I know all these like things are going off in your head, like ways to, if, you were, if we were in a conversation, you'd go, yeah, but, 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 but. Here's a challenge. When we're faced with this situation, we're able With maturity, when we grow up, we're able to act out of value rather than out of feeling. A lot of us are driven by our feelings and our emotions. I don't, this doesn't feel good anymore. Rather than value, what am I I called to here? What is the value that I'm adding to this thing? To act out of trust rather than out of understanding, because we want to know everything before we get into something. Well, when will you just, uh, pardon me for being, I'm not trying to be rude, but when will you just calm down and trust. See, Paul says, and the good news though here is this, Paul says that we are infants, meaning he includes himself into this. He says, and in some respect, we all still need to grow up. So, I'm really convicted by this. Most of this sermon this morning and tonight, I've been really talking to myself, if I was really honest. Like, I'm… In my mid to late thirties, mid late thirties, I don't. As I've, I'm moving into the twilight of my thirties, <laughs> I am, I am realizing that that the middle part of my, my life as I move into middle age, is really about this. Where I'd say in my 20s and early 30s, it was about like just taking like I not I I don't know even how to say it. I would never say taking over the world because that sounds so stupid, but it was like the world's out there. Let's go and do it. Let's go like this is what Jesus calls us to do. Whoa, well, let's go and like I'll do whatever. And now as I'm as I'm as even as I get older, that the things that I'm doing aren't as fun as they were. And the temptation is to move on and do something fun again. And Jesus challenges me with this. Will you be committed? And will you be committed out of value rather than out of feeling? And this will have to do, if you've ever been around my wife and I when we've done premarital discussions, this is around marriage. Because there will be a day when you wake up in marriage, 10 years in, 12 years in, 7 years, I don't know, whenever, 20 years in, where you won't feel like being married anymore. You just won't feel it. Like, I don't feel like the way I felt when we first got married. And then you have a decision. Will you act according to the value of your commitment and covenant to that person? Or will you respond in your feelings? I don't feel like this anymore. I think this would give me more excitement and more pleasure. I feel like I would be more alive if I was doing this, which is a lie. You won't feel more alive. You can't be more alive. You are alive or you are dead. (laughs) And you will feel that way. And it's a lie. It's just a lie. And will you, but you can't, that's a, big, that's a big decision, right? Like a big thing. But you can't make that decision in your marriage unless you made all the small ones before that. Until you've practiced, the, like I've actually lived out of value rather than a feeling. And so Paul says all of us, like we're all in this together. We're, we're all infants in a way, and we all need to grow up. This great life that God, when God comes into our lives, he makes us only spiritual babies, and now we have to grow how do we grow well first off we can't be shocked by the immaturity of other believers so if you're in a community group with people and you're thinking oh my gosh this person totally needs to hear this teaching i hope they were at morning gathering don't be don't be shocked by the immaturity of other believers because this church is filled with spiritual babies every church is and if it's filled with spiritual babies there's a lot of messes and that's what happens we're not saved by our maturity we're saved by grace and so we're saved by grace, and then Christ calls us to maturity. And we're all in that process. So be extremely, um, the word here that Paul uses is um, bearing with one another in love. That doesn't sound sexy. Like I have to, I'm, I'm, bearing, I'm bearing with you. I'm bearing, I'm, bearing, I'm just going to, bear, I'll bear with you. It doesn't sound really like nice, but that's what we have to do. We, we just, we have to bear with the people that are immature around us. However, don't put up with immaturity in yourself. Have a lot of grace for other people, but go after it in your own heart. When you sense immaturity in your own life, go after it and say, I won't, I won't stay there. I'm immature. I feel the immaturity, and God, I submit this to you. I want to grow up. So endure it in other people. Don't endure it in yourself. Don't just say, well, that's just who I am. I'm, 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 I'm immature. No, listen, you have the, you have the, you have the, the trinity of, of God that lives inside of you. You're able, to, you're, okay, you're able to mature. If you're like, well, I can't mature, I've tried it. Do you, you know that you have the spirit of Christ that raised, the, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you? You can mature. You can. So maybe every year ask yourself, look at verse two. Every year look, look at yourself and like, am I being more humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love? Am I, am I moving towards that more and more and more as a Christian? Maybe ask yourself that question. How do we grow? I need to close this out. I don't even know how this got so long. Sorry. Verse 15. I need to just land this plane it. Instead, instead, how do we grow? Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect mature body in him who is the head that is Christ. We will grow as we speak the truth in love to one another. We will grow as believers as we practice with each other speaking the truth in love. And this only comes when we're radically committed to one another in Christian community. Because What this is asking is for is absolute honesty that is saturated with the sweetness and tenderness and beauty of love. And we need both of those together. We need the balance of truth and love because if you are the person that just gives away truth without love, you're not doing truth. If you give truth without love, you will not accomplish truth. If you give love without truth, you will not accomplish love. You need both of them. Because love without truth is deadly. We need other people in our life to, 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 to love us and speak the truth to us. And if we're just loving people and not speaking the truth to them, to, to them because we're like, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings, or worst off, I think it's like, hey, I don't want to judge them because I know that they're going to probably judge me. If I start this thing, it's not going to go, well, I don't want to start judging anyone. I'm not going to pass judgment on anyone. I don't judge. I just love. That's not really love. I'm not asking you to judge. I'm asking you to speak truth in love. If you speak truth without love, that's deadly because when you do that, all you do is push people away from truth. You don't drive them closer to truth. The very thing that you're pointing out in their life, they will, they will, they, they'll, they'll reject you and what you're saying, and then it'll move them further and further along into lies that they're living. And the truth is the only place that we can legitimately live live, live freely. We need the truth. We need love in our lives. I think we avoid truth for two reasons, two primary reasons, because of pride and laziness. Our pride objects to truth because it always seeks to present a more self-enhancing picture of our lives. And laziness avoids truth because it requires work. Let me speak to laziness as we close, because laziness is not something you hear me talk about that often. I mean, we live in a city that seems, if anything, you need a Sabbath, you need a a vacation, you need a rest, because we all overwork ourselves here. I don't, the last thing that San Francisco can be called is lazy. However, I think laziness manifests itself for us as adult-driven people that live in San Francisco. The way that laziness manifests itself in our life is taking on the form of postponing or evading our true responsibilities. We do not want to put, we put off like dealing with a moral issue or dealing with the relational issue in our lives. We, we're lazy when it comes to those things. When there's a moral issue, we don't want to deal with it. We're like, okay, I'll deal with that moral issue after my vacation because I'm going to that place and I just don't want to do anything until after I get back from there. We don't want to deal with it. It's like that, that, that prayer of St. Augustine. He said, he said, in dealing with his own sexual sin, he goes, Lord, make me chaste, make me chaste but not yet. That was his prayer. Lord, make me holy, just not yet. See, we, get, we are lazy and stuck in immaturity when we say that prayer after we're convicted by the Spirit of God. Yes, yes, Lord, yes, but not but not yet. That, that issue that, that we don't want to face in the area of sexuality. Yes, God, I want you to do that healing in my sexuality, just not yet. In my anger, and getting serious about prayer and being open to forgive that certain person and finally cutting off that relationship that I know is damaging me. I know, I know I need to cut that off, but not yet, God, not yet. You're being lazy. When we kneel, we know we need to get help from that habit that we can't kick by our own willpower. We know we need to get help, but we won't. You're being lazy. Let's not be lazy. Let's not be babies. Let's grow up. If you are a baby here tonight, meaning you're young in the faith, you're like, whoa, dude, I'm just a baby. (laughs) You're young, I get it. Here's tonight, you get to practice a baby step. If you are in any way tonight moved, convicted, something happening in your mind, your heart, your conscience, however you want to describe it, take a step tonight and move toward it. Move toward it. Repent, ask God for forgiveness. Um, make a commitment to Christ, renew, renew a commitment to Christ, come back to Christ, like offer something up to Christ, o- offer to, to move into some area of growth in your life, share that with someone to hold you accountable, make a step. If, if, this is, if you're a baby, then make, make a step. Worship is telling the truth about God. That's what we're going to do now. It's speaking the truth about God, it's singing the truth about God. Confession is is telling the truth about ourselves. We want to do both of those right now. We want to tell the truth about God. Lord, we're going to worship you and we're going to sing these things and we want to tell the truth about you. That you are all these things, God. And we're going to confess, saying, here's the truth about me. Here's where I'm at tonight, God. Let's do both of those as we respond. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that even now there would be a spirit here of just receptivity and openness to you, God, where we don't feel like we're holding anything back, we're like hiding behind stuff We're trying to evade um, the way that you're working on us. Allow us to do real business with you right now. Like to actually uh, bring before you the things that you're stirring in our souls and our minds and our hearts right now. Help us from squirming out of it. Help us from being lazy. Help us from being, from being babies, God. Like infants in the faith, Mature our church. Lord, I ask that. Mature us. Mature me, Lord. I know that um, gosh, I felt, I've been feeling like a, like a newborn, just emotions everywhere, all over the place, and, and I, I need maturity. Help me, God, there. I confess that to you in front of my brothers and sisters, and I also confess that there's uh, a lot of us that want to fight against this, that like there's stuff in, in our flesh that wants to fight um, some of the things that are even shared tonight. And I, I know that I'm coming up even saying some of the stuff against the spirit of our city that thrives on this, like this movement that's always bouncing when things aren't fun. And it's how they say we find our true calling in life but I just say that's a lie. Our true calling is being one with Christ. Our true calling is living a life worthy of the calling we've received, which is being a follower of Jesus and having all the blessings and the benefits that's found in Him. That's our calling in life. And if we've been trying, moving from job to job, relationship to relationship, to find that thing, I pray that you hear it's not out there. It's found in Jesus. That's it. Yeah. So Lord, I pray that that would just ring true tonight in my heart and the heart of, of those here tonight. I pray this in your name, in Jesus' name, amen.